Well, this past week, uh, I was sitting at uh, dinner with my, my family, and uh, my son, Will, uh, began to explain to our family some of the plans that he had been making in his mind for the situation when a gunman comes into our church. And he's got a plan. It's an elaborate plan, and we're all going to be saved. So it's, uh, I just, you can rest assured that Will has a plan. And it was interesting as Will was sharing with us his plan for, for when this happens. It turns out other people at the table also had made plans in their mind of what they were going to do. My son Henry is 13. His plan is to sneak up behind the gunman and snap his neck. And he'd seen that in a movie, and it seemed effective. And again, rest assured that uh, Henry's going to do that. Now, this fantasizing of heroic acts, I knew that boys do that. I've, I don't know how many hours of my both child, childhood and my adult life I've spent, you know, having these fantasies in my mind. But it turns out the girls also had these kinds of plans in their mind. My wife said that, uh, my wife Shannon said that her plan was is to throw a chair, one of these chairs, at the gunman. And I just want to picture in my mind how far she pictures she can throw <laughs> one of these chairs. And the kids explained to her, well, you know, the chairs are kind of hooked together, so it's going to take a minute to get it loose, and you probably have time for all that. And then, uh, and then my, two, uh, my two daughters, um, uh, Ada and Molly, both said that their main concern was for me. They said, I, you know, I'd probably be the target, so they're going to tackle me and get me to safety, which I thought was very sweet, but I said, please do not do that if, if this is an actual situation. And uh, what this conversation made me realize is how God has woven into all of us a deep desire, a burden to do something heroic, you know, something that is risky, something that fights evil, that saves other people, there is in us some desire for adventure. And, uh, and I, cu- I, couldn't, I just uh, couldn't help but think that there was something very boyish about this passage that we just read, where David says, there's this army of 3,000 men, and we're going to try to, let's see if we can sneak into the army and steal the spear and the water jug from the king. And you'd be like, why, why would you do that? Because it'd be awesome. I, I, that's, I mean, we're going to look at there's some reasons why it seems like he would do that. But, you know, I've, I've been reading recently uh, the, the account of Ernest Shackleton. Some of you will know Ernest Shackleton was the, the first uh, explorer to go to the South Pole in 1907. He led an expedition to the South Pole. And you must think, you know, in 1907, like, why, what's at the South Pole? I mean, there's nothing there. And it's just like it needs to be done. Someone needs to go there. There is a sense of adventure in us. And ultimately, I think the reason that we go on impractical and unnecessary expeditions and adventures is because that's what God is like. I mean, you just think of like, why did God make the universe? It's because it's awesome. Like, I mean, it's just beautiful. It's good. It's just, why do you make trillions and trillions of stars? We're never going to travel there. We're never going to see many of them. It's way bigger than we can imagine. It's just it had to be done. And then he made a world where he was going to become a human, and he was going to die for all the sins of the whole human race, and he's going to raise from the dead, and he's going to conquer death and sin, and he's going to build his kingdom in the earth. Why is he going to do that? Because God was creating an adventure for himself. And... The Christian life is a great adventure. 
And so, uh, and adventures are, you know, filled with fear. They're filled with uh, close calls and risk. And so today, I want to reflect on some of the aspects of adventure that we see in this story. And in particular, I want to point out four things for us from 1 Samuel 26. And this is what they are. Is that adventure always has a risk, is always a risk. Adventure forms young men. Adventure has rules. And adventure is the pattern of the gospel. Four things that I want to point out from this passage. Adventure is always a risk. It forms young men. Adventure has rules. And adventure is the pattern of the gospel. So four points on our topic, adventure, this morning. And the first is this. Adventure is always a risk. Christian life is filled with risks. And, uh, and you'll notice, if you've been uh, following along with us in 1 Samuel, you might think that this story that we just read is similar to the one that we looked at two weeks ago when Pastor Matt was preaching. In that story, chapter 24, David is in a cave, hiding in a cave, and King Saul comes into the cave, and David has an opportunity to kill his enemy, and he spares his life. And then you come to this passage, and again, David has an opportunity to kill King Saul, and he spares his life. And so there's similar stories, but one of the big differences between the two stories is in chapter 24, Saul is mainly pursuing David. But in this story, the movement has changed. And you see there in verse 3 how it says, And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakalah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness... David sent out spies and learned that Saul had come. So before, Saul's seeking out David. Now David is sending out spies. So David has turned on to the offensive. Before he's on the defensive, now he's on the offensive. He's going after Saul. And being on the offensive means it's time to take more risks. And adventure always involves risks. And in this story, you notice what it says there in verse 5, how it says, Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Now, this is an interesting verse because it's using similar language from the book of Numbers. And if you know the book of Numbers, when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt, and Moses led them out, and they were wandering around in the wilderness. And they had this encampment, and there were the 12 tribes of Israel, and they would encamp, you know, three tribes on the north of the camp, and three tribes on the east, and three tribes on the south, and three tribes on the east. And at the center of the camp was tent that was called the tabernacles where the Lord dwelt. So the Lord dwelt at the center of the camp. But here, King Saul has placed himself at the middle of the encampment. And it's kind of an indication that Saul has kind of replaced the Lord's kingship with his own kingship. He's now at the center. And it, uh, and it will show, and, and so David sees this as a challenge. Can he get to the center of this army? And it will show that even though Saul has an army surrounding him and David is in the wilderness on the run, David is safer than Saul because he has the Lord. Saul has an army of 3,000 men, but David is safer because he has the Lord. Having the Lord on our side should invite us to take risks. Having the Lord on our side should invite us to take risks. And rich, risk is such an important part of the Christian life. Uh, John Frame, who's a favorite theologian of mine, he wrote a, a 
big book called The Doctrine of the Christian Life. It's about Christian ethics. And one of the things he says about being a Christian is that there is like a moral heroicism. There is something heroic about doing what's right. You know, because it's always at a risk to yourself. You're always going to suffer because of it. And some of you are facing things in your life where Christ is calling you to suffer and to wait on the Lord or to do something that the world thinks makes no sense. And it might not feel like an adventure, but that's what adventures feel like. <laughs> you know, I mean, you think of, if you read the Lord of the Rings story, you know, where the hobbits go on this long journey. It's a, if, you, if you've read Lord of the Rings, it's actually a year and a half how long their journey is to destroy the ring in Mordor. And over and over again, they're talking about, like, what are we doing? Where are we going? This seems to be making no sense. And that's often how our life feels like, is we don't really realize that we're in an adventure because it's so hard, but that's exactly how adventures are. If you're going to start a family, if you're going to start a business, you're going to wonder at times, what did I get myself into? Am I even supposed to be doing this because of the risk of it? Can I pull it off? What obstacles am I going to face? You know, I know when I first felt called to be a, a pastor and, you know, I wanted to start a church and I told my wife that. We had two kids. I was in graduate school. And, you know, that wasn't something, you know, she probably would have liked some stability to, you know, get our family going. This was not a stabilizing decision. And, uh, and there was a lot of risk. But the adventure has been a blessing. And as long as we were partners together and as long as the Lord was with us, she was willing to do it, willing to go take the risk. And I think David's story calls us to be people willing to take risks, to trust God, and just do what he has set before us. And since this is such a part of life, taking, taking risks, I think risk-taking is something that we need to be trained in. And so that leads to a second point that I want to point out. So first, adventure always has risk involved. The second thing is that adventure forms young men. The adventure itself is a part of the formation of young people, especially young men. And so in this story, David has this idea that he wants to sneak into the enemy camp where Saul is sleeping at the center. He wants to see, can I get by the whole army, 3,000 men? And it says there in verse 6, then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David invites Abishai to go on the adventure with him. And I want to point out a couple things about Abishai. Okay, the first is that it says that Abishai is the son of Zeruiah. And Zeruiah is David's sister. So Abishai is not just some guy. This is David's nephew. And, uh, and he's a young man in David's life. And David wants to leave an impression on Abishai. That's why he's specifically asking Abishai. And so he says, Abishai, will you come with me on this little expedition? And so when we bring young people into our adventures in our life with us, it deeply forms them. That participation, come and do this thing with me, is what forms young people. And there's hardly anything... Then that men like doing more than telling stories about adventures they went on when they were young. And actually, uh, G.K. Chesterton has talked about this is a key element in male friendship. And he said, you know, one of the things that's hard about male friendship in the modern world is, you know, before, males would go on hunts together. And the whole process of the hunt 
formed friendship because, you know, you've got to make a strategy for the hunt first. And you talk about the strategy and then you get all the tools, you know, the weapons and the tools that you're ready for the hunt. And then you go do the hunt. And then you have to come back and sit around the fire and tell what happened on the hunt, tell the stories. And you tell those stories over and over again. And this is one of the deepest sources of male friendship. And, uh, you know, my, my son, Will, and I, about eight years ago, we went on a, a snow camping trip with uh, Nick and Jack Kelly. And we went up by Mount Baker, up by Artist Point, and it was the middle of the winter, and we built snow caves. And in the middle of the night, our, our snow cave collapsed on us, and we were inside the snow cave, and there's a blizzard going on outside. It was like you couldn't see anything. It was dark, and I've got my 10-year-old son, and we pack everything up really quickly, and then we get lost we're, for the next half hour because you can't see the mountains. You, it's disorienting. We couldn't find our way out. We almost walked off a cliff and all these things, and, uh, but we, we prayed to the Lord, and we, two minutes after we prayed to the Lord, we see these little divots in the snow, and it was the last remnant of our tracks when we'd come in like seven hours earlier, and we made it out. And you know, how many times do you think I've told that story? Hundreds of times. Some of you are like, I've heard this story five times. Stop telling me the story. I, I, you know, I'm sick of hearing it. And Will, I'm going to be 80 telling the story. Will, hopefully, will be 80 telling the story of when we, you know, we almost died in the mountains. That's what David wants to do with Abishai. But I don't think it was only because Abishai was his nephew. I don't think that's only that he's just a young man that he was in his life. But the second thing that we learn later in in the Samuel stories about Abishai is that his brothers, that Abishai and his brothers were really bloodthirsty warriors. Abishai and his brother were, were really bloodthirsty. And at the key moment in this story that we just read, what's the first thing that Abishai wants to do? Well, you see in verse 7 there, it says, So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul, sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then said Abishai to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. Now, this is an interesting verse because this spear is, is kind of an important object in, in the first Samuel stories. It was Saul's spear that he tri- twice had tried to pin David with this spear. And so it's this symbol of, like, violent aggression. And Abishai wants to take the spear and pin Saul now to the ground. And I can't help but think there's an aspect of training or a lesson that David intends to instill in his nephew through this episode. Because uh, one of the uh, main things that David wants to form in Abishai during this adventure is his view of God. On adventures, it's a time to instill a view of who God is. And you notice the mention of God there, verse 8. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. So Abishai is making a theological interpretation of this whole adventure. And he's like, God has given it to us for us to kill him. And David sees this as an opportunity to teach his nephew about the sovereignty of God. You see how David responds, verse 10. As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come to die, or he will uh, go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear and the jar at his head uh, and the jar of water and let us go. David is teaching Abishai about how God controls Saul's life. 
being a warrior isn't about taking things into your own hands. It's about being a servant of the Lord. And it's God who rules over the affairs of men. This is a moment of teaching and instruction. And so though adventures always have a risk to them, the Lord uses them for the forming of young men. And our young men need to experience a sense of adventure in their formation. And so for those of us who are dads, we need to be thinking, how can I invite my children, and especially my sons, and other boys in the church, other boys that can come and be a part of the adventure, how did I bring that into an experience of adventure during their years of formation? That has to be a part of childhood. And if you might be wondering, you know, well, why are you putting an emphasis on boys? Don't we want girls going on adventures? And yeah, I, bring, I want my girls to go on adventures, a- absolutely. But, you know, my wife was just telling me about a news article um, she saw on a morning show just last week and about the boy crisis. And many of you have probably read about how boys in our culture are not thriving right now. It's a major cultural problem. And it's one of the great gifts of God's people that we can give to boys is to open to them the world of adventure. So adventure is always a risk, but it's powerful in the forming of young people, especially young men and young boys. But I want to focus a little more closely on the lesson that David was teaching Abishai. And that leads to our, our third point, that adventure has rules. Adventure has rules. And so in this story, the Lord has put a deep sleep over this army so that David and Abishai can sneak into the middle of the camp. And there in the middle of the camp, David twice repeats this kind of rule of life that he lives under. And it's been a big part of his experience with Saul. And you see it there in verse 9 where it says, And David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed? What David is basically saying to Abishai is we are warriors, but we live under a code of ethics. And we play by the rules that God has placed on us. And in this case, the rule is you don't kill the Lord's anointed. No matter how wicked he is, no matter how foolish he is, it doesn't matter if he's his enemy. You must respect. It doesn't matter his character. We have such respect for that office of the anointed king of Israel that we will not lay a hand on him. And uh, this was a part of... Of David's honor. And I think, you know, it makes me think of the, the medieval idea of, of chivalry, which was a, a code of ethics that knights had and knights were trained in. A knight was to be this combination of a courageous warrior who's going to protect his people, but he's also well-mannered and, and gentle. You know, he's especially gentle with women. And so he needed to have both of these qualities. And C.S. Lewis wrote a, an article in 1940 called On the Necessity of Chivalry. And I'll, I'll read to you a little bit of what, what Lewis says. He says, The medieval ideal brought two things, brought together two things which have no natural tendency to gravitate towards one another. It brought them together for that very reason. It taught humility and forbearance to the great warrior because everyone knew by experience how much he usually needed that lesson. It demanded valor of the urbane and modest man because everyone knows that he was as likely as not to be a milksop. I, I don't know that word milksop, but that it doesn't sound like something you want to be if you're a man. It's a milksop. And so he's like, you don't want to be a milksop, but you also you can't just be a wild warrior. And so it says, the man who combines both characters, the knight, 
is a work not of nature but of art, of that art which has human beings instead of canvas or marble for its medium. And so what Lewis says is some men need to be pushed into adventure and some men need to become gentle and well-mannered. And the combination of those things is a work of art. And Abishai was the warrior who needed to learn to stay his hand and to trust God. And so adventure in that way, you know, it's, it's like a game or a sport. And games in sports can only be played if there are rules. You know, if you try to play football with someone and they're just like, I don't, I don't believe in a line of scrimmage. I just don't believe it. I don't believe that you only get four downs. I think you can have as many downs as you want. You're like, well, we're not playing football. We're not, you can't play the game if you just make that stuff up. You have to play by the rules to even, even have a game. And, um, and sometimes we don't under, always understand why the rules are there. You know, in this story, David is like, do not kill the Lord's anointed. And you say, well, why? Well, uh, you know, I mentioned G.K. Chesterton earlier, and, and Chesterton basically had a, a view of the world that, that we're living in a, in a fairy world. And one of these things he says about fairy worlds is they always have rules that you, you don't know why they're there, but, I mean, you, a child would not think to ask why they're not there. So, for example, you know, Cinderella has to leave the ball at midnight. And you say, well, why? Does she have to leave? And you go, well, why is there a fairy godmother? Why, is there, why does she get to go to the ball in the first place? I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. We don't know. That's just the rules. And uh, he puts it this way in orthodoxy. He says, when we are asked why eggs turn to birds or fruits fall in autumn, we must answer exactly as the fairy godmother would answer if Cinderella asked her why mice turned to horses or her clothes fell from her at 12 o'clock. We must answer that it is magic. Chesterton says the world is filled with rules that we can't explain. And the only reasonable name for these rules is magic. Why can't you kill the Lord's anointed? It's because he has a kind of magic on him. And if you kill him, you're going to be cursed. And David knows about this rule, and he's teaching about this rule to Abishai. And adventures happen in fairy stories, and we're living in a giant fairy story filled with magical rules. Like if you kill the Lord's anointed, you're going to be cursed. If you sleep with your neighbor's wife, you're going to be cursed. If you eat this bread and drink this wine and you believe in your heart that Jesus is king, you'll live forever. That's the kind of world we live in. And you can't explain why. It's because the creator, the writer of the story, has put these rules there. And so what do we learn about adventure? Three things so far. Adventure always involves risk. The Christian life is going to have tons of risk that we will have to take throughout our Christian life. Adventure forms young men. And so it needs to be a part of the life of the young people who are growing up. And adventure has rules, magical rules that we can't explain, but we need to learn to honor the rules that are there. But lastly, adventure is the pattern of the gospel. Adventure is the pattern of the gospel. Now, uh, Something that's interesting in this story is that after David and Abishai safely get out of the camp, uh, and they get out of the camp, and then they yell back into the camp. And uh, they don't yell at the king, at King Saul. They actually yell at Abner. Abner was kind of the bodyguard or the second-in-command to, uh, to King Saul. And you see what it says there, verse 15. And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your... Lord, the king. 
So basically what David's saying is, I've just proven to you that I actually care more about your, your master than you do because you just let these intruders come in who could have killed him, and I could have killed him and I spared his life. I actually saved him from Abishai who wanted to kill him. And so then Saul wakes up and he starts yelling at David and saying he's sorry for hunting after David. He says, David, you're right. I shouldn't be following after you. You're my, my son. And then David responds in verse 23 and says, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. In this way, David's adventure is really the pattern of the gospel and the pattern of Christ. Just like David, David, Jesus had been promised that he was going to be the king. David had been promised he was going to be the king. Just like David, uh, Jesus came into the enemy camp. You know, he just went into a camp of 3,000 people. Jesus took on flesh and came into a world of enemies against God and walked among us. And he even walked into Jerusalem and into the, you know, chief priests who wanted to kill him and Pilate who ended up putting him to death. He walked into the midst of his enemies. And, um, but David here had the opportunity to kill Saul and to take for the kingdom of himself. And Jesus, too, was offered the kingdom at the beginning of his ministry. And he could have been, Satan offered him the kingdoms of the world to just be taken. But David entrusted himself to God's timing when the Lord would give him the kingdom. And this is precisely what Jesus did as well. It says that he entrusted himself to God as he went to the cross to die for the sins until God would raise him from the dead and vindicate him as the true king of the world. And so the story of the Bible is the story of Jesus' great rescue adventure to come into enemy territory, the enemy territory of the world, and to save us. And so adventure will always be an important part of the Christian imagination. The life of following Jesus will involve taking risks and trusting God because we know that in all the adventures of life, the Lord is forming us, teaching about us about himself. And during these adventures, we realize that we live in a fairy world filled with rules put there by the Creator and that we, can, that we often can't explain them. But as we learn more about the magic of the fairy world, it is the magic of Jesus Christ. The pattern of all stories is the pattern of the gospel. And so may the Lord evermore bring us into that great story. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this world that you have made and that you have made us to not only exist in this world, to be, but to be a part of the great story that is unfolding in your purposes of redemption. Lord, would you make us people willing to take risks because we trust you? Lord, would you make us people who form young people by bringing them into our adventures, especially the young men and young boys? I pray for the young men and young boys in our church that they would grow up and thrive in Christ. And Lord, um, we honor the rules that you have made in your world. And so form our life and community around the pattern of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.